Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Back everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. As you know, this is the Exxon, and we're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Our website is www.exxonradiotv.com. Our email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour is known worldwide for the great work that he does when it comes to the reporting of UFOs. Peter Davenport is the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, and he has been since 1994. Peter reports UFO sighting cases regularly on all the media, radio, television, he supplies newspaper. And when it comes to UFOs and UFO reporting, Peter is the most valuable media resource that we have. And, you know, media thanks you, Peter. You do a great job. Peter has uh, been, like I said, the director of the 
the National UFO Reporting Center, and he served as the Director of Investigations for the Washington chapter of the Mutual UFO Network. Peter has had an active interest in the UFO phenomenon from his early childhood. He experienced his first UFO sighting over St. Louis Municipal Airport in the summer of 1954, and he investigated his first UFO case during the summer of 1965 in Exeter, New Hampshire. Joining me now from the state of Washington is the one and only Peter Davenport. Peter, welcome back to the Exxon. Long time no talk. Uh, it has been a long time. Thank you very much for once again for the uh, generous invitation, Rob. And uh, more generally, thank you for your continuing interest in this crucially important field of ufology. You're, you're probably one of the most active broadcasters in the world with regard, and uh, indefatigable mm-hmm. with regard to this issue, and I think it's very important to all peoples on this planet. Oh, thank you, my friend. Peter, before you and I went on air, we were talking about the, the, the increased number of UFO sightings. Well, uh, UFO, the volume of UFO sighting reports fluctuates broadly. Some days I get five or maybe six or ten. Other days I get 50. So mm-hmm. I'm accustomed to the fluctuation. But the interesting thing over the last three months or so has been the huge increase, two orders of magnitude increase in the number of reports I've been receiving of red, orange, and yellow fireballs that have been reported from all across Canada, from all across the United States, and we're getting similar reports from other countries. This this increase is, in my opinion, unlikely to be the result of an increased sale in Chinese lanterns, mm-hmm. for example, or any any such nonsense. And I have no explanation for it. It makes me wonder whether we've rounded a corner with regard to UFO sightings. I have no idea what it means. Peter, you and I have to take our first break. Uh, please stand by. Exxon Nation, Peter Davenport is our special guest. Peter Davenport is the director of the National UFO Reporting Center. If you have seen a UFO, or even in the past if you have seen a UFO, it's important that you make a report. But when we come back, we're going to tell you what kind of report and how to make the report so that you give all the information to Peter that he can catalog on his website at uh, www.ufocenter.com that's u-f-o-c-e-n-t-e-r.com once again peter davenport is our very special guest this hour in the x-zone i've known peter ever since we started the show and i'm telling you that he is the most valuable tool that media and journalists have when it comes to correlating data on ufos because he has an extensive site Take a visit. Take a look. It's filled with information. And as I said, when we come back from this commercial break, I'm going to tell you how you should make a UFO report to the National UFO Reporting Center. And once again, their website is www.ufocenter.com. That's www.ufocenter.com. Peter Davenport and I return in two minutes as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Exxon Nation, my good friend Peter Davenport is our guest this hour. He's the director of the National UFO Reporting Center. And if you'd like to uh, to uh, make a UFO report, there's two ways. You can either go to ufocenter.com or you can call their hotline, the UFO hotline at area code 206-722-3000. That's the UFO hotline telephone number, 206 722 Peter, the uh, the balls of light that you were talking about, the red, the orange fireballs, has the scientific community tried to come up with any plausible explanation? No. Simple answer, no, Rod. And this is a fascinating mm. phenomenon. Uh, you know, UFOs by themselves, as you know, are a fascinating subject for discussion and investigation. I have to say, though, after 16 years of having served as the the director of this organization, I have to say that I am becoming more intrigued by human psychology surrounding the UFO Mm -hmm. field than I am the UFOs themselves. The things that people do or say or believe or don't do interests me now, I think, at least as much as the UFOs themselves do. But I am flabbergasted. I sit here at my desk in stunned disbelief that the press of the world has not developed a greater interest in the UFO phenomenon. Programs like yours, investigators like me, I believe, have presented enough information to uh, capture the attention, perhaps the imagination, of members of the press, and yet they sit there like like pith frogs, uh, waiting for something to happen. I don't understand this. But uh, no, the scientific community, in direct response to your question, where are the scientists? There have been a few. Uh, I think of Dr. John Mack at Harvard Med School. There there are a lot of very... uh, Richard Haynes, Dr. Richard Mm -hmm. Haynes is one of my favorites, uh, Dr. David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins. They, these are really capable people who are investigating aggressively. They're coming up with good information, and the scientific community and the press sit there 
dumbly, staring at the greatest story in the history of mankind, certainly the greatest scientific question of all times, and they're not doing anything. I am I'm very frustrated. I'm sure our listeners can hear it in my voice. But why are they doing nothing to alert the population of this planet as to what is going on? It is very bizarre, more bizarre than the UFO phenomenon itself, I believe. Yeah. You know, I'd also like to take my hat off to three fellow broadcasters who I know do a fantastic job with UFOs as well. I'm talking about Jeff Rince, I'm talking about Art Bell, and I'm talking about George Norrie. Like these oh, guys, you know, it's it's true. Yes, they are they are heroes of the yep. human population of this planet, not just of Canada or the United States. They have done a magnificent job, mm-hmm. as has you have you, uh, in providing a conduit for again what I believe is the most compelling and most important scientific question to ever confront man, namely, are we alone in this galaxy and universe, or are we not? From my seat, from my vantage point, Rob, and I suspect from yours, based on the many, many programs we've done, the many conversations we've had, uh, it is the same for you. Where's the press? Why is nobody paying attention? Where are the newspaper articles about the crop formations in England, for example? Mm-hmm. Those are stunning formations, and yet we see nothing, absolutely nothing. Why are they not on the 6 o'clock news, I ask? Well, it is very bizarre. Peter, you've been dealing with the media for many years now, and do you know the truth? If it don't bleed, it don't lead. Yes. Yeah. I'm... I'm roundly disappointed in, I can't address those in Canada, I haven't dealt with that many journalists from Canada, I've dealt with thousands Mm -hmm. from the United States, and they're lackluster, they're effete, toothless lapdogs, and they have, the news has evolved over the last 50 or 100 years, in my opinion. It used to be that a journalist was out on the city streets burning shoe leather. He had a notebook, he had a pen and a pencil in his ear. He was talking to everybody. He was trying to get a, he was digging for a story. Today, they sit in front of their computers waiting for a download from the government so they can either publish it verbatim or Mm -hmm. regurgitate it. And this is not, by my standard, traditional journalism. Uh, this is just proofreading, little more, in my opinion. Peter, how many reports a year, approximately, do you get at the National UFO Reporting Center? Yeah. We get, I estimate, probably between twenty and 30,000 reports wow. a year. Only a fraction of those make it to our website, because many of them are hoaxes, mm-hmm. many are cases of mistaken identity, I do my level best to weed those out. I leave a few in to alert visitors to our website that I do indeed have a brain, and I am. it is indeed engaged, at least with respect to the subject of UFOs, uh, letting people know that I can identify a sighting of the International Space Station, of the space shuttle, satellites, uh, uh, boosters, uh, meteors, and so on. But uh, we post probably between three and three thousand and five thousand reports a year that are serious-minded reports of something. I rarely know what it is people are mm-hmm. reporting to us, and the closer to you, uh, genuine UFO sighting the report is, the less able am I to confirm that it's a UFO. 
about all you can do. It's like peeling the layers off an onion. You eliminate the possibility that it's an airplane. You eliminate the possibility that it's the space shuttle. You eliminate northern lights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are probably dozens, maybe hundreds of things that I'm on the lookout for. And all you can do is eliminate those possibilities, and then you're left with a question mark. It's like a Russian doll, a matroshka, as it's called in Russian, where you take, you yep. disassemble the big doll, mm-hmm. then there's a littler doll and, and a littler, littler, and so on and so forth. That's about all a UFO investigator or somebody in a position like mine is able to do, really. The night of the Phoenix Lights, Peter, what was it like yeah. at the National UFO Reporting Center? Good mother of all creation, Robin. That's a wonderful, wonderful question. Uh, I'm delighted to have an opportunity to talk about it. I have never in my lifetime spent a night, the likes of which I spent Thursday night and Friday morning, this for the benefit of our listeners, and there are probably very few of your listeners who don't know the date of the Phoenix Lights. It was Thursday night, March 13, 1997. There were times, Rob, this is back when I was tape recording all of the calls with caller's permission, of course. Mm-hmm. I never, never tape record anybody without their permission. Uh, there were times when I just let the tape recorder that was connected to my telephone line run continuously as a flood of calls came in. Literally, there was a telephone call every 15 or 30 seconds or at most a minute. People demanding to know what it was they saw. They were incredulous. Someday uh, I should play those tapes to let people know what that night was like. It was it was dramatic. Was there the same uh, amount of 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 concern of of fear of curiosity the night of the Stevensville sighting? Yes, although I was not on the hotline. That was Tuesday, the eighth of January, uh, two thousand eight, as I recall, mm-hmm. and I came home, I got trapped in a snowstorm up here in northeastern Washington on my way home from a meeting. I was running for the legislature at the time and I had a meeting I had to attend, but there were only maybe three or four calls. And, you know, it leads us into a larger arena. It's a very good question. Uh, we got some excellent reports and I had the guests on a number of programs, Jeff Rents, for example, whom you mentioned earlier. Uh, I presume you had some of them as well. It was a very dramatic sighting, and the U.S. government is was doing, clearly was doing uh, damage control. They did not want, I'm, I'm speaking on their behalf, which is always dangerous, but clearly they did not want the American people to know that there was a huge, had been a huge UFO in proximity to the president's ranch when he was in residence there in Texas. Uh, the Stephenville sighting, the original one, the evening, I think it was about 6.15 that night, local time in Texas. Uh, that must have shaken the U.S. government, the intelligence corps, and defense establishment to the roots of its soul, because that was a dramatic sighting. Whenever you have an object that may have been a quarter or a half a mile long, statute mile long, that was able to not only outrun F-16s, but to be able to accelerate away from them, as they're doing many hundreds of knots, accelerate away from them so rapidly that people on the ground were left with the impression that the F-16s had been left standing still 
in the evening sky there, southwest of Dallas and Fort Worth. That must have been something to behold. What was your inspiration to start with the National UFO Reporting Center, Peter? Yeah, uh, sheer misfortune, Rob. <laughs> oh, I, I, misfortune. It may be misfortune for you, but it's very fortunate for everyone else. Well, kind words, and I'm truly grateful. Uh, I, I always seem to get in trouble when I call my friends to see if I can help them. Oh. It's it's something a person should be more cautious about doing. But I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a, He was a fellow member of the Mutual UFO Network, of which I am also a mm-hmm. member. And he said, by the way, at the end of our conversation, he said, by the way, Peter, did you know that Bob Gribble, uh, Bob Gribble was the founder of the National UFO Reporting Center back in October of 1974, he said, Bob Gribble is thinking of shutting down the hotline. I said, no. It was of concern to me because I viewed the hotline then as I do it today. It is a crucially, crucially important, albeit a thread-thin conduit of information. Mm-hmm. If it were not for programs like yours and facilities like the National UFO Reporting Center, and you have some very fine ones up in Canada as well. Don Ledger, oh, uh, Chris Rutkowski, special comment for him. Oh, he- and also... Uh, UFOBC and Brian Vike. Brian Vike. Your, your investigators up there in Canada are second to none. They're always a delight to deal with. And people can always submit reports to Canadian investigators. Peter, you and we I have to take our news break. Please stand by, good sir. Exonation Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, is our special guest. The UFO hotline is 206-722-3000. That's the UFO reporting hotline at 206-722-3000 or www.ufocenter.com. Don't go away. We'll be back. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com I believe it's meant to
Peter Davenport is my special guest this hour, Exxon Nation. Now, if you'd like to make a UFO report to the National UFO Reporting Center, the UFO hotline is 206-722-3000. That's area code 206-722-3000. Or you can go to their website at www.ufocenter.com. Peter, what information should callers or people who submit their UFO reports to you what important yeah. information is re, is necessary in order to make it a a, a credible or, or or a report that you can actually investigate? Yeah. Well, I am grateful if I just get the basics from a witness. The the things that I traditionally request of people when they telephone our hotline, uh, I will I listen to their report for maybe fifteen or twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. I want the short version over the telephone. People want to talk and talk and talk and talk, and they'll talk for hours about their UFO sighting. But the point I make to them is talking about it does absolutely no good whatsoever. In fact, it is harmful, Rob. It is harmful in the following respect. One, the more they talk about it, the more the facts can become a little bit muddled. When you start talking about an incident, you 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 roam around and you mm-hmm. start creating facts. So we like people to immediately sit down and write about their sighting. The other thing that I have noticed over the last 16 years, the more you let a person talk about the sighting, the less likely are you to get a follow-up written report. And unfortunately, the written, written, written report is the only report that does any good. But the thing in direct response to your question, and it's a very good one, uh, is we ask for the basics. Where was the person located? Usually people remember that very accurately. They're at their home or the corner of uh, First and Vine or someplace. We ask for the direction they're looking. And this is where it starts getting a little complicated. I estimate that about 60 to 90% of the American people, when they're standing at a location, have absolutely no idea where north is. It, it flabbergasts me. Uh, but we ask the direction they're looking. We ask for an angle of elevation. Now, this is where it gets really convoluted. Most people will say, well, it was two telephone poles and a soccer ball up which means absolutely nothing. What we ask people for is an angle expressed in degrees, angle of elevation. And between the direction or azimuth they're looking combined with that angle of elevation, that defines a point in the sky from their vantage point. Also, what the object looked like, what it did, what color it was, Mm -hmm. did it have lights on it, was it moving, was it stationary, was there one or two or three or a dozen, how many people were present... In other words, I could go on and on, but we ask for just the basic facts of the sighting, written hopefully eloquently and grammatically correctly, so another person reading that report could understand clearly what the sighting looked like. That's what we ask for. All right, explanation. Now, once again, the contact information for filing a UFO report with the National UFO Reporting Center. Here we go again. The hotline number is 206-722-3000 and their website, www.ufocenter.com. Before we went to the break, we were talking about Chris Rotowski and some other great uh, Canadian UFO investigators like Brian Vike and and our friend down in Shag Harbor. 
Uh, Chris has come out with a new book, The Big Book of UFOs, and uh, we intend on having Chris on uh, next week or the week after, I'm not sure, but he'll be on talking about UFOs. But you also have a very special connection with something called Passive Radar, Peter. Yeah, and i really delighted to have an opportunity to talk about it, Rob. I, In my lifetime, I believe I've made only two major, unique, meaningful intellectual contributions to the world. And my proposal to use passive radar to end, once and for all, unambiguously, the debate over whether UFOs are real or are they not, uh, is, I think, the greatest thing, I've greatest intellectual achievement I've ever done. Essentially, what it is, is a proposal to use the energy, the, the radio waves, the electromagnetic radiation that flows off of radio and television antennas to detect UFOs. After all, those radio waves are no different from the radar waves that are broadcast out of airports mm-hmm. and by the air traffic control system. And my proposal is to build a receiver, a, a actually an array of antennas that listen for bounced radio signals from objects in the near-Earth environment. They don't have to be in the atmosphere. They can be outside the atmosphere, of course. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is use those commercial broadcasts to listen for objects, to listen to detect objects that reflect those signals going out into space as they reflect them back down to ground level. If you, It turns out that if you build an array of antennas in an XY coordinate system. It takes only four antennas in close proximity to one another, within 100 meters of each other or so. You can time very, very accurately to one part in a billion when the reflected signal strikes each of those four antennas. And that gives you enough enough information if you have the proper software and a fast enough computer and so on, Mm -hmm. to determine what the location of that reflection point was. And then if you do that in several times a second, you can track that target across the sky, and then you can start discriminating. If it's uh, at 30,000 feet and it's traveling at 45 miles an hour, it's probably a, a wedge of Canadian geese. But if it's at 35,000 feet doing 550 miles an hour, it's probably United Flight 263 going into Chicago. But if it's at 50 miles above the Earth and it's doing 20,000 kilometers an hour, suddenly you're talking about something that is a mystery. And if I am successful in building a passive radar system to do this, and if people are interested in my proposal, they can read my paper on our website, ufocenter.com, on the home page. They can just look over on the left and scroll down, 16-page paper in which I detail my proposal. They will see how dramatically simple this is. What we need is funding, Rob. We, our team of engineers, which I have assembled, estimates that the prototype will cost about $750,000. About 90% of that is for the software development. It requires very special software. 
after we've developed a prototype in the software, we could cover the United States and Canada, the North American continent, with, I estimate, six stations, each of which would cost a relatively paltry $10,000. And we could detect UFOs on a 24-hour basis, feed that information from each of those stations to a website, and we could let the American people know and the Canadian citizens know what is going on above their heads. I have been to four billionaires, B, the billionaire with a B, and I have over 15 years yet to receive my first penny of contribution for this program or for this proposal. Interestingly, you have such a system up in your area at the University of Western Ontario. Professor Peter Brown runs a passive radar system for detecting meteors. And I attempted, this was about three or four years ago, attempted to contact Peter Brown. And I was interested in knowing the technical characteristics of his system. It took me eight communications or so to get him to return my first email or return my first phone call. His system, I understand, was funded by both NASA and MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, And the question I have for Professor Brown is, does he detect other things besides meteors? Does his system pick up targets that we would call anomalous? But given his apparent opposition to the issue of UFOs, uh, I don't think we're ever going to get a response for him from him on that subject. It is very, very disappointing. They are using precisely the type of radar system that I have proposed be constructed. Interestingly, Rob, a point of interest, a sidelight here. Mm -hmm. The day my paper was published, I wrote it in preparation for a presentation at the Mutual UFO Network Annual Symposium in Denver. The day my paper hit the internet, the day MUFON published it, I got a call from a senior officer at the Central Intelligence Agency in Washington. He said, Peter, my name is so-and-so. He said, a colleague, a retired colleague of mine just sent me a copy of the abstract of your paper. He said, I'm calling to congratulate you because if you build the system that you have proposed in your paper, you will be successful in resolving the question of whether UFOs are real or not. He was very careful, you will note, in his phrasing of the, the comment. He didn't say, you will detect UFOs. Mm-hmm. He said, you will resolve the question as to whether UFOs are real or not. I've had several conversations with him. I don't think he will ever call me again because I got rather bent out of shape with this gentleman over his apparent knowledge about UFOs and his categorical refusal to share that information with the American people. And I got, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed, Rob. I got very bent out of shape with him. And uh, he may never call me again, but I believe that these public servants have a responsibility directly to us citizens, not indirectly through the halls of government. And I let him know that opinion in spades, I'm afraid. So I, <laughs> I may have sealed that off. But he's a Ph.D. in physics. Mm-hmm. He has built several passive radar systems for the U.S. government, for the CIA, for clandestine 
detection. I say clandestine because these systems only have receivers. They do not generate their own radiated signal. They only sort of ride side saddle. They take advantage of a signal that somebody else is broadcasting, which is reflected off of targets. So it radiates no energy. All it does is sit quietly and listen for reflected signals from above our heads. That is what I'm interested in doing. So the government must know that the end of their monopoly in, on the subject of UFO information is well nigh upon us because uh, we in the near future, if I can build the system, will be able to show the government and most of all the citizens of our two respective countries unambiguously that UFOs are real. That's what I want to do. Peter, why do you think, now I've, we've got to take our final break in about two minutes, why do you think the governments of the world are suppressing the information that UFOs are here? Yeah, some of them are not, of course, and I dare say you've probably had guests on that have talked about this. Oh, sure. We've uh, had Steve Bassett example, on a number of times. Yep. Uh, back on the 14th of May, 2008, England threw its uh, files open, and they mm -hmm. continue to release information. France or at least some retired government officials and uh, military folks wrote the Comita report. I think that was back in 1997 that that was, reported, uh, that was released. Uh, Chile has a civilian commission on UFOs. Belgium, years ago, threw its, uh, its files open. The U.S. government is recalcitrant on this issue, and it troubles me desperately. Uh, I think the U.S. government has gone renegade. I can comment about my government. I wouldn't dare comment about the Canadian government. They're different entities, and I don't have that authority to do so. But the U.S. government is lying to the American people on so many subjects that we cannot keep them straight anymore. We cannot keep them in mind. Ufology is only but one. And why they're doing it. Many people ask me, as if I'm a spokesman for the U.S. government. Obviously, I am not. They're my adversary. I know for a fact that they're lying to the American people. And they, I believe there have been some occasions where people from, I presume, from the U.S. government have tried to get me out of the field of collecting UFO reports hmm. by calling me repeatedly at the same time of night over and over again to wear me down. So far, they have not succeeded in doing it. Peter, but stand I don't by. Know why the government does it? Peter, stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Exo Nation. Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, is my special guest. Here's their website: www.ufocenter.com, and the UFO Reporting Hotline number: area code two zero six. 722-3000. That's 206-722-3000. We'll be back on the other side of this brief break. Don't go away.
ExoNation Peter Davenport is our special guest this hour. He is the director of the National UFO Reporting Center. Once again, their website is www.ufocenter.com. And the UFO Reporting Hotline, area code 206-722-3000. That's area code 206 722 3000. Peter, you and I were talking off air about a fireball going back to August of 1995. Oh, yes. I remember that night like I remember last night, Rob. A very, very interesting sighting up near, I think it was about over London, Ontario. Mm -hmm. It was midway between Windsor and Hamilton. And this is one of the rare, rare circumstances in which the object of interest that caused a dramatic reaction among uh, witnesses on the ground was captured by a television news team. I'm, I suspect you know the, the story quite well. When we were talking about it, you, you recognized it instantly, yeah. of course. What many of the people up in Canada don't know is that that fireball that was going generally to the south-southeast apparently passed over uh, Lake Erie, and it cut down, slashed down, across the western end of Pennsylvania, and it came to a dead stop. And I have a number of witnesses. People can read about this case. They can read some of the reports that we have on file on our database. I remember the date quite clearly. It was a Friday morning. It was 40 minutes past midnight, East Coast time on the 25th of August, 1995. The interesting thing is that people in Ohio and Pennsylvania saw this object and it changed shape, it changed color, and in the vicinity of Breezewood, uh, Pennsylvania, which is right on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, the object was seen by a professional race car driver to stop above an empty valley that he was driving through at the time and it strove and it was again at this point stationary on the south side of the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike it strove and it illuminated the entire valley that he was in six times sequentially it was a very dramatic case interestingly Channel 4 out of Windsor I believe it was aired that tape but once and they have refused to allow anybody else to use that tape. Even Peter Jennings, when we did a piece with Peter Jennings back in 2004, uh, it's my understanding that that station, refused, which had been acquired by that point, refused to allow that footage hmm. to be used by ABC News. Similar case from Grand Falls, New Brunswick, on the 19th of September this month, just last Sunday night, and I will get those reports to you as soon as we receive them. But that case back in 1995, again, August 25th, Friday morning, was one of the most dramatic cases that I have ever handled. And I will leave our listeners, Rob, with the final note. I have substantial reason to believe that that object that slashed down across Ontario, Lake Erie, and Pennsylvania lifted a car off the Pennsylvania Turnpike and returned it about an hour and 40 minutes later. Peter, we've run out of time for tonight, my friend, but you're going to come back in the very near future. Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Always a great uh, pleasure talking to you, and uh, take care of yourself, and thanks for your great work. 
My gratitude to you, Rob. Thanks for covering this very important field. It's always delightful to be here. Take care, my friend. Peter Davenport has been our guest this hour. He is the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, www.ufocenter.com. Well, that's it for tonight. Exxon Nation, I'll be back tomorrow night at 10. And once again, we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. So until then, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. <laughs>